Hey CCGate, it's great to be with you today and uh, I'm really pleased that I get to be part of the Encountering Jesus series and uh, today we're going to continue in that series and we're going to be talking about encountering worship. Um, we're going to be looking at two characters from a story where Jesus encounters Mary and Judas and they both encounter worship but in quite different ways. But before we delve into it, I want to talk to you about worship for a moment, because if you've been around church for any length of time, or even a short length of time, you'll have heard the word bounded around. We often think of worship as our corporate times where we're gathered together and we're singing songs of praise and worship to God. And that's, that is a good use of the term worship. That's exactly what we're doing. We're worshipping God. However, that's not the only use. And today, I want us to try and peel that label off to get rid of that cultural thing that we've built around worship, because we're going to be thinking about worship in a much wider sense. We're going to be thinking about our lives of, as worship, because the Bible tells us that everything we do, everything we think and everything we say, our whole lives are worship to God. We have the ability to point people to him, to build up his name as we live, or we have the ability to do the exact opposite. So, this morning, as we think about Mary and Judas, and we think about their hearts of worship, peel off that label of singing songs, and let's see what this passage has to tell us about living lives of worship. I'm going to read the passage now, which is John chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus's honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objective, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. But, did not, but he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, who he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. What a scene. There's loads of things going on in this passage in just a few verses, but I want to look at the main figures in this passage who are occupying everyone's attention. I want us to focus in today on Mary and on Judas and their interactions with Jesus. Because I don't know if you're like me, but if you're ever at a social occasion and those awkward moments start to roll, I love it. And that's exactly what's going on here in this story. Again, if you're anything like me and you're at a social occasion, it normally plays out a little bit something like this. You're sat around with friends or with family 
and then somebody makes that comment they shouldn't. They talk about the elephant in the room, that topic which is off limits and you never talk about. And then normally one of two things happens. Either the room falls silent as somebody gets up and goes, leaves the room in tears, or a massive family row erupts as everyone wants to have their say about what's just happened. This morning, as we go through this, try and put yourself in the story. Imagine yourself reclining at the table as this happens, as we consider Mary and Judas and the worship they encounter during this meal, during this feast. First, we're going to turn our attention to Mary. And we're going to explore what this passage tells us about the way that she worshipped. We know that she was, uh, that Mary was a sister with Martha and was with Lazarus. And in the previous chapter, as we heard John Hosier speak about last week, we know that Mary has seen her brother Lazarus literally raised from the dead by Jesus. And therefore, Mary and her sister Martha have decided to throw a dinner in order to honour Jesus. So let's delve into the story. You're sat at the table and enter Mary. You're all sat round, chatting, there's food being served. Mary gets up, she goes to the sideboard, picks up this pint of pure nard, this expensive perfume. She pours the whole thing over Jesus's feet and then she rubs his feet with her hair. Let's pause there because there's a number of weird and wonderful things going on here. Why does she have such an expensive of bottle of perfume sat around in her house. It's worth a year's wages. So why is it there? Why is she using the whole bottle? Why isn't she using just a small part of this to wash Jesus's feet? Why is she washing the feet instead of a slave as would have been normal at that point in time? And why on earth is she drying his feet with her hair? There's loads of questions in this passage. But actually, there's one thing which I think is far more deafening than all of those other things, and it's this. There's no grand speech about what Mary's doing. There's no explanation, in fact. Mary just gets up and does it in silence. And the room, you can bet, has fallen absolutely silent. It's the thing which stands out to me because Mary has silenced the room through her act of worship. But before we look at her act of worship, we need to take a step back and look at the heart behind her worship. Mary appeared to understand something about Jesus's death and his resurrection on quite a deep level that not everyone who was there seemed to understand. Mary had seen Jesus demonstrate his resurrection power just a short while before, as I said, when she literally saw her dead brother raised back to life by Jesus. We're then told that Jesus is in Bethany celebrating the Passover meal. This is celebrating the meal which, um, which was of God's chosen people who were set free from their slavery in Egypt hundreds and hundreds of years before. And they were there celebrating this, where a lamb, a pure spotless lamb, and the blood of that lamb paid for their freedom. 
much like Jesus's pure, spotless life. And not only this, but Mary's heard Jesus speak countless times through the Gospel of John. Countless times he's spoken about the hour that's coming, the hour of his death. Mary knows that Jesus is special. She knows something. She's grasping all of this. And it's that heart behind her worship, which is quite amazing. She understands that Jesus has the power to give resurrection new life and to forgive sins. And it's that which leads her to an extravagant act of worship. And not only that, but what Mary then continues to do with her extravagant act of worship is she continues to point us towards Jesus's death and resurrection. Because she may not have known what she was doing in some ways. She was just going in the moment with this extravagant act. But what she was doing was performing a ritual which is normally reserved in those days for people who had died. People would cover bodies in perfume to anoint them, if you will, for, for going into the tomb and being buried. Mary knew that she was doing that, but she's pointing here towards the fact that Jesus is going to die shortly. It's incredibly profound. And as I said, she may not have been fully aware of the full context of the fact Jesus was just about to die. But it doesn't matter. Mary understood the value of Jesus. She got it on a deep level. So if Mary understood the value of Jesus, how valuable is Jesus to you? Mary understood God's extravagant love for her. And this heart is what led her to an extravagant act of worship. Mary did what she felt was the right thing to do in that moment. But it was socially awkward and it was definitely financially costly. But because she had experienced this extravagant love, she was happy to pour out extravagant worship to her God. So again, I ask, how valuable is Jesus to you? Does his life, death and resurrection cause you to act in life in ways which might be socially awkward and might be costly, but actually point to him. Because like we said at the start, worship is far more than singing a song. Worship is the way that we live. It's everything we think, say and do. And actually, um, all of those things have the ability to point to God and glorify him or do the opposite. The best example of worship is, of course, the life of Jesus. Because, yes, Mary's act of worship was indeed costly, but it's only a tiny, tiny reflection of what she had seen from Jesus. And it's only a tiny reflection of what we know about how God loves us. Mary gave up a year's worth of earnings, but God gave up his life for you and for me. God came down from heaven in the form of Jesus and he took on death on the cross, a death which should have been ours because of our sinful nature. He took that on and he died. But as Mary saw with Lazarus when Jesus raised him, Jesus raised himself. God raised up from the dead. Why? So that he said, if we too believe in his life, his death and his rising from the dead, then our sins can be forgiven and we can live with him forever. That is the best act of worship I know, to lay down your life, 
to glorify God and to love him fully. Now we're going to hear from Yan Yan about his experiences of encountering God in worship. Although I love praise and worship together, um, over lockdown, I have actually encountered and experienced Jesus more in my personal quiet time, digging into his word. He's chiseled away at spiritual impurities that have needed to go for sure, but he's also provided me a sense of comfort that I, I just would never have otherwise had before. Even in reading through, uh, say, for example, Exodus, um, it, you know, with the very specific measurements and materials of each furniture of the tabernacle, I found a sense of, uh, hey, God, I get what you're doing here. Um, I'm so thankful that you're working inside me this way. And, and you know, oddly, this is incredibly peaceful. And, and, and you're helping understand you in such a fresh way that I'm really enjoying this. So, you know, Worshipping him through scripture and then subsequently experiencing him in, in even the simplest of things like, like a fresh perspective on a conversation or a new sense of wonder on, on somewhere or, or something that I see outside every day has been an absolute joy for me. Now, no matter how varied my worship has gotten or how matter it will get, um, it's comforting to know that, that he blesses me in ways that I might not even notice at the time. Thanks, Jan. It's great to be encouraged that responding to God in worship can be done far more ways than through singing songs. So we've heard about Mary's heart of worship. We've heard about her extravagant experience of God's love and therefore her extravagant act of worship, which follows. But now we're going to go back to the story and we're going to have a look at Judas. So remember, Judas is there in a silent room. He's just heard the You've just heard a pin drop. He's just seen what Mary's done. And then he pipes up like that awkward mate you take, you have at your family gathering when the argument's breaking out and you're sat there thinking, what's going to happen now? Well, Judas speaks. <clears throat> um, Mary, have you really just done that? You've poured out a bottle of perfume which is worth a whole year's wages. You've poured it out in one go and you didn't think about selling it and giving that money to the poor. Hit pause there, because objectively, I don't actually think in some ways that's such an unreasonable question. I think it's a question that we, many of us will probably find ourselves asking. She's, she's living this life of worship, but actually it almost appears wasteful in some ways. So objectively on the surface, I feel like, okay, Judas, you've got a fair point. But let's go back to the passage, because what we're told next is that Judas was like the accountant for the disciples. They all used to put money into a kitty in the middle, and then Judas would distribute that money out to people in need. But what he was really doing was creaming money off the top without the others knowing. So he was thieving from them. So what we're getting now is an insight that Jesus knew. He was sat there and he knew exactly what was going on. And then we get Jesus's response, which is this. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Still think Judas's question was fair? I'm not convinced it was. Because what Judas was saying and what Judas was asking are two very different things. 
what Judas was saying is, why aren't you giving this money to the poor? What Judas was truly asking was, why aren't you putting money into the kitty so I can take some of that money for myself? It comes from the heart again. His heart of worship is hard and it is cracked. Judas therefore tries to cut Mary down and embarrass her in front of all the people who are gathered there. And it's easy to look at Judas and think, well, I'm not like that. Judas is the man who handed Jesus over to his betrayers and he handed him over to the men who would kill him eventually. I'm nothing like Judas. And that's how I feel. But actually, the more and more I search my heart, I wonder if I have these unvoiced questions, which I don't say out loud. They're not said statements, but they're in there. Have you ever had thoughts like these? Why is she getting up and dancing around the place as an act of worship? Is there really any need? Or why are they giving so much money, it's so extravagant, and to be honest with you, it almost feels reckless. Or this one, oh, why are they on their knees sobbing again in response to what's going on? It's just so embarrassing. They're the kind of thoughts I can have if I'm really honest, and I don't voice them, but Jesus doesn't need me to. Notice what happened in the passage? He didn't need Judas to voice what he was really thinking. Jesus knew exactly what was going on in their hearts. And Jesus knows exactly what's going on in our hearts. And there's two things I wanna pull out of Judas's story. The first of these is criticism. Like I've said, it can be so easy to find ourselves looking at others and doing extravagant things and actually thinking thoughts which can belittle them and really could cut them down. And one of the places that I feel this challenge a lot, and I feel for the younger generations and the older lot, you mighty yokers if you're on social media, is there. It's on social media. I feel like there's a real challenge as people display their lives and might put something up um, that glorifies God. And you think, oh, if only you knew the real person behind that. But actually, we can be really cutting with hurtful thoughts like that. But I want to encourage you if you know this is something that you struggle with, God is gracious. Again, have you noticed what happens in the passage? Jesus doesn't cut Judas down. The only comment he says in relation to Judas is leave her alone. So he draws attention to it and cuts it off and says, leave her alone, Judas. But then what he does is he um, exemplifies Mary for her amazing act of worship. So God is gracious. And today, if you know there's a cynical and critical element that's creeping into your heart, then I'd love you to know that soon the Zoom rooms are going to open and there are people there who can pray with you. And the second thing I want to draw out of Judas's story is for those who are struggling with corporate worship as usual. I'm not just talking about people who are missing corporate worship in the sense of our corporate sung times of worship. But I'm talking about people like a friend George and I were with the other day. And she said to us, Andy, I don't feel like I'm in the scattered church. Ordinarily, I would be out there. I'd be seeing my friends. I'd be seeing my family. I'd be seeing my colleagues. And, and what she was saying is I would normally be able to worship in front of them. 
obviously not singing worship, but she would live a life which displays something majestic about God. And she said, at the moment, I just don't feel able to do that. I feel trapped in my own home as I work from home and I feel isolated on my own. So I just want to encourage you, if you're out there and you're not able to worship as usual and you're feeling that pang of sadness in your heart, then again, I want to encourage you that our Zoom prayer room is going to open in just a moment and there are people there who will pray with you today. So, we've heard that worship is far more than singing songs. It's about our hearts grasping the value of who Jesus is and then letting our lives respond to, to, the, um, to him in the way we think, speak and act. And we've also seen how hard hearts can stop the flow of worship. They can be damaging not only to ourselves, but also damaging to the people around us. But as I finish, I just want to revisit verse 3. Mary pours out a pint of perfume on Jesus' feet, and we're told this, the house was filled with the fragrance of that perfume. So this is my question. What would life look like if we worshipped wherever we went and we took the fragrance of Jesus wherever we went? Is your heart like Mary's? Is it recognising the value of Jesus and the extravagant love he's laid over you? And is that leading you to extravagant living that's costly and can be socially awkward? Or is your heart like Judas's? Is it hard? As if you let cynicism and criticism creep in? Because if that's the case, then Jesus died for you and there's grace here to have your heart softened again to worship him in your life. So as the prayer rooms open, let's respond with this song of worship. But please let me remind you that after this song is finished, worship doesn't finish. Your life of worship continues, and my prayer is that you would have an exuberant, extravagant life of worship, just like Mary had.